Hello, this is Gabriela Gardner, and today we'll be mapping the low FODMAP diet on the 15-minute matrix. Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix Special Nutrition Therapy Series, where we're going to dive into the approaches, practices, dietary theories, and healing foods that have been used in the most successful practices across the globe and throughout history. I'm Andrea Nakayama, functional medicine nutritionist and your host. The 15-Minute Matrix is the podcast that brings you bite-sized insights and lessons which highlight the most important tool in functional medicine and functional nutrition, and that's the functional matrix. The functional nutrition matrix reminds us of three very important factors in clinical care. Everything is connected, we are all unique, and all things matter. Be sure to head over to this episode's show notes at 15minutematrix.com if you'd like to see today's topic mapped on a downloadable matrix to remind you of these critical aspects of care. Today on the 15-Minute Matrix, I'll be speaking with Gabriella Gardner. Gabriella Gardner is an outpatient clinical dietitian and nutrition team lead in the Houston, Texas Medical Center, where she provides specialty nutrition care for the management of gastrointestinal and hepatology disorders. Mrs. Gardner educates patients and leads the management of patients who need nutrition support at home. Mrs. Gardner is a registered dietitian and a board-certified nutrition support clinician. In addition, she is one of four in Texas and 67 nationwide to obtain the Advanced Practice Dietitian and Clinical Nutrition Certification. Mrs. Gardner has written several articles and published a book on IBS and the low FODMAP diet. She holds a number of leadership positions. Currently, she is president of the Texas Gulf Coast chapter of ASPN and a member of the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation Medical Advisory Council. Mrs. Gardner, welcome to the 15 Minute Matrix. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to speak to you and to speak to you about FODMAPs. It's such a popular topic right now. Can you start us off just by talking about what FODMAPs are? Yes, the acronym FODMAP stands for fermentable, oligo, disaccharides, and monosaccharides and polyols. And pretty much what that entails is that these are fermentable carbohydrates that break down very quickly in the small intestine and oftentimes as a result of this breakdown process of carbohydrates by bacteria, they release gases and in some patients it can cause bloating, excessive gas, abdominal pain, and even changes on bowel movements. And when we think about the foods that are high FODMAP, we're thinking about fructose, lactose, fructans, galactans, polyols. Do I have that right? Yes, that would be uh, some of the 
carbohydrates within the categories like the disaccharides would be the uh, lactose and some of the galactans and fructans would be the, the oligosaccharides. So, so yes, you, you got all the groups. The polyol group is the last one. And then, of course, the fructose would be the monosaccharides. So that could include different fruits, even honey, high fructose corn syrup, wheat, garlic, onions are pretty popular, anything with inulin in it legumes? Are there any biggies that I'm missing? Maybe it's helpful if we go by by category, you know, like you said, fructose, it's going to be primarily honey, but there could be other ingredients like agave syrup. Mm. And of course, certain fruits will have fructose or actually all fruits have fructose, but even certain ingredients that are in processed foods like high fructose corn syrup, And then lactose will be in dairy products like milk, and there is some left over on on lactose in some yogurts, as well as in fresh cheeses. And then for the galactans, that's going to be a lot of the legumes, like your soybeans, chickpeas, beans, lentils. And then for fructans, that's going to be garlic, onions, which, you know, we use for cooking a lot right. uh, and is present in, in several processed foods as well. But wheat is another one of the major foods in the fructan group. And then in the polyol group, you're going to have a lot of fruits and vegetables like avocado, cherries, mushroom, you know, blackberries. Oh, right. uh, you know, there are just like a lot, a lot of fruits and vegetables that are going to have the polyol. So there's a lot of foods that we're eliminating in a low FODMAP diet. And I want to get back to the how we do that and, you know, what issues could arise in long-term elimination of food. Before we do, I just want to talk about the reasons we would implement a low FODMAP diet. Mm-hmm. You said gas and bloating. I see it used a lot for a person who's diagnosed with SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Any other reasons that you're using yourself or seeing others implement a low FODMAP diet? Yes, I think, you know, it could be used in like the IBS diagnosis, which is what the FODMAP diet was originally created for that patient population. Um, But as you can find, many GI conditions can have these symptoms. In any patient that has these symptoms of floating on gas, like you mentioned, the bacterial overgrowth, or sometimes we see these symptoms in patients that have inflammatory bowel disease like Crohn's, disease or ulcerative colitis we we use this diet mostly to help alleviate symptoms Uh, you're not necessarily curing the disease but you are helping the patient be more comfortable and also help identify intolerance to particular food Uh, there are other conditions you know like gastroparesis Mm -hmm. uh, which can also overlap with bacterial overgrowth because 
the motility of the small intestine is just not not moving right. <laughs> food is staying there and of course it's going to ferment more so of course in any of these situations someone may benefit from the FODMAP diet. I love how you talked about the fact that we're removing these foods but it's not necessarily going to alleviate the condition this is where I often feel like we have to clear the muddy waters or you know take the salt out of the wound and yet we often need to go that next step to do the internal healing and ask why. So when you're implementing a low FODMAP diet, do you see that people get stuck in looking for just the food cure without doing the internal physiological healing? You know, patients want to feel better. And of course, they, they just want to find what is going to cure um their their disease but i feel that it is important as someone that introduces the fatmap diet to them explain how fatmap works and what is really going to help them with i have found found some patients that feel that it will make them feel with more energy or you know it will tell them to get rid of headaches or things like that. And I think it's important to set the expectation of what maps are, how they work, and how they will improve symptoms. And it's not necessarily like a magic pill or a magic diet. It's just more a way to find what that patient is not being able to digest or not being able to absorb whether it is because there is some damage, uh, temporary damage on the lining, like it could be in the case of Crohn's disease or celiac, or maybe it is a motility problem like in gastroparesis where there is just going to be more fermentation or even on bacterial overgrowth. So, um, you know, I think as practitioners and clinicians, we have the responsibility to explain that to patients and um, guide them through through this different stages of FODMAP, which is not only eliminating, but also reintroducing, which is a very important step on the diet. That's great. You said that so well. And I was going to ask you about reintroductions because different people may respond to different foods differently, which is what makes our approach bio-individual or functional. So how do you handle the reintroduction of some of these foods? The factors that I like to consider and discuss with patients are their personal preferences, of course, and it also has to do with sometimes their cultural background, Mm, their ethnicity, because you know, when we talk about food, it's just more than, than nutrition. Right. Um, you know, it's the enjoyment and social experiences. And like for someone that, you know, their diet is vegetarian and they their basis of their diet are legumes, you know, like in an Indian cuisine, a lot of the dows are not low fat mass. Right. So, Maybe that's the most important thing for them. And when I reintroduce, I like to consider what is going to bring that particular patient, what is going to bring back 
more nutrition, but also benefit to their digestive tract. So I try to prioritize groups with them. What is most important for them to add more normalcy, but also to incorporate the nutrition. And pretty much you need to tackle one group at a time. You don't want to be trying different groups. And like I said, we just pick one one of the groups and we do it typically on a three-day step-up process. Mm-hmm. So like the first day, it's just a, a very small amount of a particular food in that group. Um, and then the second day, we increase the amount of the same food. And then on the third day, I try to tell them, you know, we're trying to mimic uh, what it would be their usual amount within reason. Uh, You know, of course, it could also be a good time to introduce what a good serving size of a particular food will be in some cases. But, you know, once you get to the third day for that particular food, you, you can wait a few days. in in between and then you can try a different food from the same group until you are able to get to as many foods as that particular patient wants so it is a long process I have to say that uh, because there are so many foods that are high FODMAP Um, but there is no one right or wrong process uh, that has been established yet I know Monash University, who are the developers of the diet, they develop some recommendations and guidelines, but there is no set protocol as to how we need to be challenging or reintroducing foods. So so that's the way I like to do it, and I've had good success with, with the patients. I really appreciate how you're talking about this, Mrs. Gardner, just that it's a process and how individualized it is. You bring so much empathy to the process, really identifying what foods are going to give the person the most pleasure, and then the grouping and determining what do we need to introduce and doing that three-day step up and then moving on because we're talking about a potential intolerance here and it may even be a dosing issue right like too much of one food causes a symptom whereas eating it on occasion or in smaller amounts could be okay do I have that right yes you have that right and the other thing that we need to consider is that it is not only a, a dosage a potential dosage issue with one particular food, but sometimes it could be a combination, Um, like combining the food, for example, apples that have fructose, but they also have the polyol group. So you have to be careful with some of those foods that are going to have some FODMAP because the likelihood of developing symptoms is going to be higher. But also, if you challenge that particular food, you may not be able to tell which one was it that they reacted to. Was it the fructose or was it the the polyol? So sometimes you need to try the polyol group first, and then you have to take that into consideration for the for the future uh, challenges that if you have a mixed um, fruit or vegetable with polyol and, and the patient did not do very well with 
the polio, then you need to do either a lower dosage or advise the patient to maybe wait and try a little later. My biggest takeaway from this conversation is about patience, (laughs) right? This really is a journey and we have to use our critical thinking and get out of that quick fix mindset because it's a process, it's a journey, it's trial and error, and we have to be willing to pivot all the time. It takes a particular mindset to not feel like it's one and done. My last question for you, Mrs. Gardner, is about any other cautionary tales we should think about in terms of concern about certain nutrients that might get depleted if person is on a low FODMAP diet too long, fiber concerns, anything else we should be considering if somebody comes to us potentially on a low FODMAP diet for a long time without resolution? Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, you bring up really good points. Uh, One is uh, the fiber. It typically is difficult to get enough fiber with this diet because it's restricting a lot of the legumes, fruits, vegetables. So it's important that if you're seeing someone that is already experiencing constipation, you try to highlight low FODMAP, high fiber uh, foods, or considering a non-fermentable fiber supplement, just so that patients can have regularity, because uh, that is very important to also experience improvement with FODMAPs. The other thing with micronutrients would be the uh, B vitamins, of course, uh, vitamin C, depends on how much they are restricting their diet, folate, magnesium, you know, could be some of the other concerns. And then some patients just completely eliminate dairy versus going lactose-free. And that is not necessary. So that is something else that I struggle sometimes, you know, getting my patients to try lactose-free, kind of telling them they don't necessarily have to cut all dairy. Mm. Um, So calcium, vitamin D, depending on what the patient is doing, But then one thing I really want to point out is that a low FODMAP diet decreases the amount of bifidobacteria, which is very beneficial for just the human body in general, not only digestive health, but it also has benefits on uh, triglycerides and like lipid metabolism. So if someone is following a low FODMAP diet long-term, uh, probably they they don't have a, a very good number of, of bifidobacteria. There is one study that showed that if you supplement with a bifidobacteria containing probiotic, it can help counteract the, the effect. Um, but I think more importantly, the idea is that we reintroduce foods because a lot of these high FODMAP foods are good prebiotic Um, They're good in prebiotic fibers. So we do want to add back to the the patient's diet and just promote a healthy flora with natural foods. Uh, That's really my, my primary goal. Not a lot of supplements and products, but more foods, um, kind of healing with foods. 
I really love that, Mrs. Gardner. There's so much that you said that just resonates with my thinking. I worry about these healing diets depleting the body in other ways long term. And you just spoke to that so beautifully. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us today. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. This was, this was great for me. It's a topic that I love. So thank you. The 15-Minute Matrix is brought to you by me, Andrea Nakayama, and the Functional Nutrition Alliance. Check out the latest in functional nutrition at functionalnutritionlab.com forward slash blog. The 15-Minute Matrix is produced, mixed, and edited by Rowan Bradley with production support from Natalie Merrill and the team at the Functional Nutrition Alliance. You can find episodes on all kinds of topics with more incredible guests at our podcast website, 15minutematrix.com. And if you'd like to be notified each time there's a new podcast episode by email, please go to 15minutematrix.com forward slash notify. This is our final episode of 2020. It's been a rich year of interviews and content, and we are all so grateful for your minds your ears and your support. I have a fantastic lineup of content for you in 2021, and I'm hopeful that we can continue to bring you information and context that you enjoy and rely on. Thank you. Thank you. And have a wonderful holiday season.